us to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for being able to come into your house and praise you. Lord, praise you like they did that day you rode into Jerusalem triumphantly on Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today. But Lord, don't let us be like that crowd and turn our back on you only a week later. May we go out from today just invigorated and with zeal to serve you more fervently over the next weeks and the next months and the next years. Now, Lord, we just want to turn this service over right now to the Holy Spirit, Lord. We want to welcome him here to move amongst us. There's needs and cares that are here, Lord, and uh, we just hope, know that you can fulfill those needs and cares through him. We lift up these families that lost loved ones this week, these people who are dealing with sickness and illness. We lift them all up to you right now. But mostly we just want to turn the service over to you so we can be fed and nurtured so we may go out and serve you more faithfully next week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I need my support.
Did you have a good week? Did you have a good week? Did you do anything fun? Did you do anything fun? Did anybody get in trouble this week? Nobody got in trouble. All perfect children. Wow. That's amazing. All right. Bobby, do you want to come help me? All right. I got a question for you. Who knows what today is? Easter. What is it, Kyle? Kyle. What, uh, what is it, Kyle? Palm Sunday. You're exactly right, Kyle. That is awesome. Do we know why we call it Palm Sunday? No. Well, let's talk about that. Who's ever been to a parade? Everybody's been to a parade. Everybody loves a parade. So what happens when you go to a parade? Everybody gets happy, right? They start and the drums go by and all the cars go by and all the floats go by. And it's just a lot of excitement, isn't it? All right. So the reason we have Palm Sunday, the reason we do Palm Sunday is Jesus was about to ride into Jerusalem. And he told his disciples when they got outside of the town, he said, go and get a donkey. And the donkey was tied to a fence post. And he said, if anybody asks, tell them the Savior or tell them that I, the Savior needs to borrow the donkey. So sure enough, they went into town and guess what they found sitting, guess what they got found tied to the fence post outside of the store? The little baby donkey. And do you know what else was unusual about this donkey? The donkey had never been ridden before. And I don't know if you're familiar with a donkey or not, but donkeys can be pretty stubborn. There's only one way they go, and that's their way. So the fact that Jesus knew ahead of time, told his disciples what to do, and that what the donkey, which one to get, is kind of a miracle within itself, right? So sure enough, as they, the two disciples were about to leave with the donkey, the storekeeper came out. What are you doing with my donkey? The Savior needs it. So they took the donkey to Jesus. They took their coats and they laid it on the donkey's back. And as they went into town, all the people knew that Jesus was coming. They were so excited. They knew of the many healings and all the many miracles and things that they'd done. They truly, at that moment in time, were excited to see him. And they thought loved him. As, they, as he rode by on the donkeys, they waved these palm branches. And they shouted, Hosea, Hosea. Do you know what the, the word Hosea means? No. To save now. To save now. These people were so excited to see him. They were, hearts were filled with so much joy and so much love. But in just a matter of a few days, they were the very ones that sent him to the cross. So I've got something I want you to, I've got several things I want you to remember. Today is Palm Sunday. And why we call it Palm Sunday? Why do we call it Palm Sunday, Dallas? Why do we 
Why do we call it Palm Sunday? That's right, and they were waving the palm branches. They were so excited to see him. It was just like a parade. But the one thing I want you to think about this Friday. This Friday is the day that Jesus, this coming Friday, Friday is actually the day that Jesus died on the cross. And he arose when? He arose when? On the third day. Okay. All right. Let's pray. I have in the Father. Thank you for this extra special day. Help us to always remember the importance of Palm Sunday. Help us to always remember the importance of what the coming days mean. May it grow stronger and stronger in our hearts the older that we get. I ask you to please, God bless and watch over these children. I ask you to especially watch over and guide and direct their parents. Thank you for your many blessings for us. In your name, I pray. Amen. Tempe really encouraged me a second ago. I went to get up off the floor and I was having a hard time. I said, I'm getting old. She said, just wait. <laughs> so, just wait. <laughs> the truth hurts sometimes. Um, as you see this morning, we've got the communion table set up. And so that I hope as a body that we can take communion together in a few moments after we first heard the word of God and let it wash over our souls and see if there is any hurtful way in us and correct us and move us towards God and the Holy Spirit so that we don't take the communion in a way that brings discipline on ourselves, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is, is clear on that. And before, um, before we get there into our sermon, I just want to go ahead and read that so that we're all clear as to the importance of taking this in the right frame of mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 says, But in giving this instruction, Paul has been giving them instruction about how to act in the church, okay? I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. And if you read the first part of 1 Corinthians, you'll see where there were some serious divisions. 
And it had a lot to do with the changing of the guards, so to speak. When Paul, who started the church, left the church, and then they had new leadership, some people that, you know, loved Paul, they were um, doing, doing their thing. And then people who loved Apollos that came next, they were doing their thing. And, and then some were saying, I'm of Jesus. They thought they were extra spiritual. And so there was a whole lot of mess going on in the church that was division. He said, for there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. You know how I know that there are divisions in your body because you, you approve certain men. Each of you approve a certain man. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. Paul's cutting, I mean, he's cutting to the chase. Look back again to verse 27. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And he said, and it's this reason that many among you are weak and sick and the number sleep. Because if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Praise God that he disciplines us, right? So when we partake of this in a few minutes, understand that Paul says we take of it in a worthy way. And if there's anything wrong between us and somebody else, we need to be careful how we partake of the Lord's Supper together. And if there's anything wrong with us between us and the Lord, we need to be careful how we partake. That being said, I want to talk to us about the Lord's Supper. So if you'll turn to Matthew, turn to Matthew. And I want you to turn to John chapter 12 and hold your finger there. Matthew chapter 21 and John chapter 12. You know, we've talked this morning about the fact that it is Palm Sunday. And I love the fact that both Zay and Miss Betsy called out the fact that the crowd who welcomed Jesus in on Palm Sunday was the same crowd that was screaming, crucify him a week later. Okay, this emotionalism, this hype over this so-called Messiah, and he wasn't exactly who they thought he would be, and they're joining in and all the hoopla of the big festival or whatever, and not buying in to the real deal with Jesus. 
Not diving in deep. It was shallow. Shallow. All right. When they had, verse 1, approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I want you to understand two different things here. Number one, Jesus has some claim to fame because if you're walking around raising dead people and healing the lepers, healing lame men so that they can actually get up and walk, then you are going to garner a following no matter who you are. Y'all with me? But also, notice the Old Testament scriptures that they are quoting in this passage. The rabbis are teaching the folk that there's going to be a Messiah, and we've been through this all this past since July, since I've been speaking. There's going to be a Messiah. It's going to be the son of David in the, in the Davidic kingly line. And so you've got teaching that says there's going to be a Messiah, and you also have this prophet who just blows you away with the authority in the way that he speaks and teaches. And then he proves his authority by actually calming wind and waves, casting out demons, healing lepers, healing the lame, and raising the dead. But why, why approach Jerusalem? Why head into Jerusalem? Why is all this happening in Jerusalem and what I want us to do is back up a little bit to Exodus, I mean, no, Numbers 9, 9 through 14. Numbers 9, 9 through 14. Now I want you to understand, we've, we've kind of glossed over this and hit this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the children of Israel and they escaped from Egypt because of the Passover lamb being sacrificed. Y'all remember that? And so this is actually fast forwarded after they've been to Mount Sinai, after they've gotten the law, after they've been in, uh, given the directions to build the tabernacle and they've built the tabernacle and they're getting ready to move forward and do their wilderness wanderings. And we've, we've walked that journey over the last several months. But I want to call your attention back to chapter 9 and, 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 and verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. Okay? So, there's an appointed time for the Passover, and it's the first of the month, 
And I believe it's the 14th day of the month when the feast starts and it goes for seven days. And God had told them when they first sacrificed the lamb and placed the blood on the, the, the doorposts and lintel of their doors, he said, I want you to make this a perpetual feast year after year after year. And here's why. I want you to remember my deliverance of you. And I want you to be able to have a way to teach the next generation of how I rescued you from slavery. And so now they're a year later after they've uh, met God at Mount Sinai. He's given them the law and he's given them the tabernacle where he could come down and rest in their midst. A year later and they're getting ready to move and he says, all right, sacrifice the Passover. This is the time of year that I wanted you to do it. This is the remembrance of what I've done for you. Okay, so look at verse 9 though. We have a few extra things we haven't talked about. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, If any one of you or your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, and what he means is, and can't actually uh, observe the, fast the Passover feast when it's time to observe it, then this is what you do. He may observe the Passover to the Lord. In the second month on the 14th day at twilight, they shall observe it at twilight. And the reason it's at twilight, guys, is because that's the time that God told them to sacrifice the lamb. Because the death angel was coming that night. And so that's the time he told them to sacrifice the lamb. They shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You know, if you're getting ready to go somewhere, you don't have time to make your bread like you would normally make your bread. And God says, look, when I send the death angel and he begins to kill all the firstborn of Egypt and he's going to kill your firstborn unless he sees that something else has already died in the firstborn's place. And he knows that because he sees the blood on the door. And if he sees that there's already been a death in that household to pay for the sin, then he will pass over that household. But you guys best be ready to go. Because once I enact this last and final judgment on Egypt, he's going to say, get out of here. So you don't put yeast in your bread and wait for it to rise. You eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs. When you eat this Passover lamb, don't leave any of it over until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to every statute I've given you about the Passover already. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall then be cut off from his people, for he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. If an alien or a foreigner basically comes to live with you guys and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its ordinance, he shall do. You shall not have one way of doing things for the alien and another way of doing things for the true Israelite. I love this because God in his heart has his mind on the world. He's chosen a nation 
to bring to himself to be a priesthood, a holy nation, so that he can use that nation to reach the world. And he's got the foreigners on his mind and on his heart. And he says, look, if they come to observe the Passover, they come and they want to be a part of your nation. You bring them in and look, there's not going to be one way for them and another way for you guys. They're going to come to me just like you come to me. Right? I love that. I love that. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16. And there's something I want you to see here. Verse 1 says, Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish His name. Whoa. That's interesting. I haven't heard that before. Now, in Deuteronomy, the children of Israel have already wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and they've come to the backside of, of Israel toward, towards the, 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 um, the Babylonian side, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go fight the battle of Jericho. And God, Moses is getting ready to die. Joshua's about to take command. And Moses is giving, reiterating for them all the ordinances God has given them and challenging them to cling to God. As Moses dies, Joshua takes over and they enter Mom's land. And he says, look, as you go into the promised land, I want you to continue to observe the Passover. But when God picks a particular place to establish his name, I want you to observe the Passover there. Are y'all with me? And so Jesus, we read last week from Isaiah chapter 9, where it says the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land of Galilee, will see a great light. And Jesus was from Galilee, although he was born in Bethlehem, but he was only down there because a certain Roman uh, a government official had called for a census. So he was born in Bethlehem, then he moved to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill off all the babies, and then when he came back from Egypt, he ended back up near the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus oftentimes would make journeys. Remember when he was 12 years old, he would, he made, him and his family made a journey down and then they started on the way back up and, and, and Mary and Joseph were looking for him. Where's he at? But they found him in the temple. Where was the temple? In Jerusalem. In the land of Judah. In the south. Galilee is in the north. And they're trying to go back home and don't have their son. Now, as a matter of fact, they were three days journey in before they realized Joseph. Right? And so Jesus often in his ministry would make journeys to Jerusalem 
And the reason he is making a journey to Jerusalem is because God said, in the place where I cause my name to be remembered, in the place where my temple is, in the place where I come to meet with you, that's where you will observe this feast. And that's why the Jews were traveling from all over to get down to Jerusalem where they were to observe the feast of the Passover. And that's why Jesus is, is having to borrow some donkey from some storekeeper in this city that is not his hometown. But understand, John chapter 12, John chapter 12, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus was raised from the dead. You see that? So all Jesus is doing, he's stopping to see his best buds on his way up to Jerusalem. Remember in John chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but it says that Jesus really loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. As a matter of fact, I think it was probably a place that as he was traveling, he stopped to stay. He stopped to eat, to get a bite to eat. Why? Because this is, this is several days' journey by foot from where he normally lives. And so he's on his way up to Jerusalem, and he stops by Lazarus' house, who he had raised from the dead, and a bunch of a crowd of Jews was coming up because they wanted to see, they wanted to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. But why is he on his way to Jerusalem? Look at verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of the palm trees. And this is John's account of the um, Palm Sunday parade-like welcoming of Jesus into Jerusalem. But remember, chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Now, I know I've got that a little out of order, but understand why Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and why he gets welcomed like that is because He's on his way to do what Deuteronomy called the Jews to do way back when. And this has been a statute for thousands of years. A celebration where they remember God's deliverance from Egypt because of a lamb that was killed and that blood was wiped on the door and the death angel could pass over. Are y'all tracking with me? And so, Matthew, Matthew, um, oh, let me get there, and I'll be able to make sure I give y'all the right verse. Matthew 26, verse 1. 
Now, we just read from Matthew chapter 21. That was the triumphal entry. That's Palm Sunday. And chapter 26 says, when Jesus had finished all these words, okay, he's, he's teaching. You see all the red letters in chapter 25 if you have a red letter Bible. And even before that, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Y'all see that? Y'all catch that? Look at uh, verse 17. Now remember I told you, remember I told you that there had to be unleavened bread, no yeast. Because way back when, when they were getting ready to leave Egypt, you don't have time to put all that in your bread. You're getting ready to go. God's delivering you. He's bringing you out of slavery. And it's called not only the uh, Passover, but it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's a week long. It starts on the 14th of the first month, and then it goes to like the 21st of the first month. Okay? And it says, verse 17, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So once again, he's not at home. He's in Jerusalem because Deuteronomy said, when you observe the Passover, you observe it in a place that I call you to observe it, where I cause my name to be remembered. And he's following the law to a T. And he goes and he sends his disciples and said, go find this man and he's going to let you prepare for our meal in the upper room at the house. The disciples did just as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. Now, under, if you were a Jew back then, I, I can't remember about now, but it was customary. It was customary that you, you didn't sit on chairs and eat at a table like we do. It'd be like a mat on the floor and you'd lean, you'd lay down you know, kind of put your head like this, and you'd eat. And so the Bible says while they were reclining at the table. And, 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 uh, and, and I think it's in John where you see where, where John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And there's one point where it says when he leans his head back on Jesus' breath. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? But it's only the fact that they are having to lay down at the table. And John is probably the closest to him. And he's leaning back to ask Jesus something or tell Jesus something while he's reclining like this. And his head hits his chest. As they were eating, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And we go through the whole thing, and Jesus kind of points out who it is. Verse 26. 
While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Now, I hope you're starting to catch the significance of what is going on here. There is no coincidence at all in the timing of this whole thing. God, who's been in charge of all of history since the beginning, the one who made faithful promises, as Dalen talked about this morning, and never broke a one of them, is the same one who called into existence the Passover feast in the first place. Moses didn't dream it up. And God knew way up thousands of years in the future what he was going to do to rescue us from slavery. Slavery to sin. Slavery to darkness. Slavery to the enemy himself. And slavery to the wrath of God. God had a plan. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And so when he brought his son, his savior, his Messiah into the world... He had him know that he was supposed to be in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover. And he had him know that it was time for him to give his life during the time of the Passover. Because he was going to be the sacrificial lamb that rescued all of us from slavery. And he's eating this Passover meal with his disciples and he looks at them and he pulls one of the pieces of bread out and he says, this is my body. He's drawing a parallel. I am fixing to offer my body for your salvation. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What does that mean? Hey, for about three years, I've been hanging with you guys. I've been teaching you everything I know. We've had meal after meal after meal together. Hey, you remember that meal where we had about 5,000 of us? And all we had was just a few pieces of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. Remember that meal? What about the times we ate at Lazarus's house, Mary and, and Martha? What about what about what about meals at, at Peter's house, his mother-in-law, were fixing for us? 
But, you know, I've only had about three Passovers with you guys in the three years that we've been together that, that you've been called by me to be my disciples. And I want you to understand something. This is my last. I am fixing to do what my Father called me to do. And this bread is representing my broken body for you. And this cup is representing my blood spilled out for you. So folks, why would we trample the grace of God by drinking and partaking of the Lord's Supper with a heart that is not right before Him? But to be honest with you, the heart that is not right before him is the one that should be drinking of the cup and latching on to the bread. Right? So where are you this morning? Do you realize that you are a heart that doesn't deserve to take of the Lord's Supper? And in your heart, you don't want to trample His graces. But in your heart, you know He's the only chance you got. I'm going to let you respond to that in the silence. No music, no anything. Just quietly before God. Think through that in your own heart and mind. as the deacons make their way forward. I'm going to challenge you if you sense in your heart that the Lord is saying, hey, you need to just kind of calm down on the Lord's Supper today. You need to, you need to talk to somebody in the church and get something right, then, then, then you do so. If you are in your heart of hearts saying, you know what, God, I can partake in this supper because I know I'm not right with you and I know I need every bit 
of your sacrifice for me, then I offer you to take of this freely. But I'll leave that up to you. And all you have to do, if you, if you feel like you need to not partake, is just look at the deacon and say, or, or just pass it on to the next person, and, and just don't take one out of the plate. But if you're fully resting in his sacrifice for you, I, I say freely partake, right? Guys, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the deacons here. And the fact that they're there uh, in support of me. And the fact that they help in areas such as this.
I'm very grateful to them. But it says, um, <coughs> Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, Stephen, will you bless the bread, the body of our Lord? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the body that he gave us, for the ultimate sacrifice in which none of us deserve. We know that without that sacrifice that he gave on that day, that we would all perish. And Lord, we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So he said, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. same way he he took the cup and he gave thanks David will you mind praying over the, the cup thank you Lord for, for shedding the blood on Calvary Lord for us for living that perfect life and for, for being so willing to take such a gruesome terrible death for us Lord he said drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> Guys, thank you for your your solemnness here this morning. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for being here. Right? God says, you need to go to the place where I cause my name to be remembered. And you know, a lot of us would get so far off track if we were left to ourselves. And so it's very beneficial that we gather together to keep each other on track and to remember what God has caused. For us to remember. That's what that's what this is all about, right? And as we close, I'm gonna ask Mr. Harold if he would give the blessing over our closing. Lord God, we are so truly thankful that 
beyond our understanding how you would do what you've done for us. But we just praise your holy name. We thank you. We pray that you would continue to bless